of all the other announcements in your bulletin, um, and uh, just make sure you're involved in the work of the Lord. Is any one of you, I'm reading, excuse me, I'm reading uh, from New International and starting on uh, chapter 5 in James, uh, the uh, 13th verse through the 20th. Is any of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah, you remember him, was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the air of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Father, bless the reading of your word this morning. Something dawned on me as, as Ted was reading that never crossed my mind before. Um, there's a lot of causes that they say um, that brings global warming. Have you ever heard prayer? is a significant cause of global warming. I wonder what the government would do with that one. Well, we are in our last um, message this morning in the book of James. Amen? It has been a journey. It is a powerful book, and I'm almost disappointed that we're done with it. I know that the Lord will be sending us back here sometime soon because it has been so rich and has been so deep, and, and his approach is so apropos to what you and I need as believers because what James's heart is, the message of the gospel of the letter of James is authentic Christianity. What a real believer looks like. I was going to say what a real believer smells like, but that wasn't in there. It doesn't even say what a real believer looks like on the outside. It's what a real believer looks like on the inside. True Christianity is like this. And most of you have been here along with us for the ride of what individual faith, what corporate faith looks like. And in this closing passage, many writers have kind of come to this closing theme of James is now bringing us all back together as as a corporate body. For most of us, we've experienced these passages as God speaking directly to my heart and to my spirit about how I am to live and breathe and walk and talk and, and live out my life of discipleship for God. But in this passage, there's this, this idea of the community experience together. When you come together, when you're as a, as a group, when you're living life as a church together, then this is what that looks like authentically. Real early church worship looks like this. Now, I don't know how you think about that thought, but that's exciting to me because I wish I'd give anything to be there at the church where thousands of people were being baptized. 
where thousands of people, after one message, were giving their heart to Jesus. And it was said of those early disciples that they were turning the world upside down. I give anything to be a part of that and to see that happen and to see the lives of those men and women as they dedicated their hearts and their minds to God. And James says, well, I don't have a time machine, but I'll tell you what, this is what it looks like. This is what it can look like in your church. Now, I'll just say the same thing I've been saying for months. It's really easy to understand. It's a whole lot harder to put into application. So I love in this passage, um, you know, he starts about asking, hey, by the way, any of you guys in trouble? Uh, he didn't ask for a raise of hands, but I think we could kind of see the crowd, even in his day, you know, they were literally running for their lives because of their faith. They were all in trouble in one sense or another, and I think in our lives sometimes we feel the same. And he points them to prayer. But I want to start with the kind of the second main sense. There is any one of you happy, let them sing songs of praise. And there is there is a note in the early church about the power of a positive attitude, the power of praise in the church when things are going right. Because it's really easy to tell each other when things are going wrong. And for some reason, when things are going right, we just kind of hold it in. And James says, if you've got something to say, shout it out. Interestingly enough, I'm going to read some verses from the Old Testament. Not normally a place we think of to, to expound on what praise should look like, but I just want you to listen to these. These are powerful verses from First Chronicles chapter 16. I don't know what was wrong with our software this morning, but they wouldn't open up the Bible. So we may have to excommunicate our software after today or maybe pray some healing over it. But First Chronicles chapter 16 says these words about praise in the life of God's congregation. It says, sing to the Lord all the earth and proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations for his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. For he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but God made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord all ye families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, I'm going to paraphrase, the Lord is in charge. And from the early life of the church, even before Jesus, God's people were exhorted to lift his name high and to sing his praises and to shout the worth of his name. I read a Bible verse this morning from Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, and, and I had it with me, and it, it ran away somewhere. But the gist of that verse is, you come and you give lip service to God because you're just doing it the way someone taught you how. And I thought about that, and I was like, well, I kind of grew up in my faith, and I, I looked at the people around how they worshiped, and I kind of just followed along with the way they did things. And, and I thought this morning about how I've looked out to some of you as we've had a change in worship style, and I know that it's, um, it's different, and that's okay. 
But I've also looked out to some of you, and I, I'd never seen you raise your hand before until these last few months. Now you got a hand raised. I've seen some of you never raise your hand, and now you got both hands raised. And I'm thinking, you know, we've, we've just let go of the way we've always done things before, and we're letting God just do something new in us. We're letting God do something new in us. We're not stuck in the past. We're not stuck in, our, in the way we've always done things. We are here today to listen to the Holy Spirit and whatever the Spirit says to us, we're going to do. Now, I'll be honest with you. I am, I've never been a hand raiser. I think I've raised my hand twice since we've been to Vancouver First Friends. But I've got to, I'm just, I'm just going to say it this way. God's got his arm down here. <laughs> and, he's, and he's working on me because I'm listening to the Spirit. And I'm just, I'm just encouraging us to be open to God. It's fine if you never raise your hand in worship. It's fine if you raise both hands in worship. My challenge to you is if you've got something inside, let God let it out. Amen? Amen. Let God let it out. Let God let it out. There is power in praise. I was reading a book this week. Actually, in two different books I was reading this week, um, the pastors were saying they began their board meetings with the praises of what God has done in the last week. And they said when we did that, our board meetings changed, our focus changed, our passion changed, and we became all about not the things that were problems, the things that were, that were in our way. It all became about God. And it changed our church, and I love that. And next time we meet, friends, that's how we're going to start our meetings together. There is a power in the heart full of praise. James says, but some of you have trouble. And you're thinking, some? (laughs) Friends, that's life. Jesus said, you'll have trouble in this life. So what was James's prescription? Was it worry? Was it fuss? Was it grumbling? Was it hand-wringing? Was it sleepless nights? Was it endless worry? He says, if any of you is in trouble, pray. And he talks about a few different kinds of troubles in this passage. And one of the troubles is just in general. And Psalm 107, verse 6 says this. It says, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distresses. And I love this idea of crying out because it gets back to what I was sharing with the first idea of, of if it's in us, let God let it out. And sometimes in my Christian life, I've kind of been like, I've kind of been like this with God. Bad day, God. What are you going to do about it? That's kind of how I started my Christian life. And sometimes it kind of felt like God said, huh. And I was like, man, I don't feel a connection. And, and, and as I've journeyed with the Lord, I've, I've been learning I've been learning how to let out what's inside. And I was asked uh, last year at yearly meeting by one of the pastors from Idaho who was aware of some of the things in my family that was going on. And he was like, have you, have you, have you just gone out somewhere alone and, and just cried out to God at the top of your lungs? Why? I was like, no, it hasn't really crossed my mind. I was like, I'm not that. I, I handle things quietly inside. And he's like, I challenge you to to let God open up your heart a little bit to what's going on. And uh, I was like, there's no way in the world that I, 
I didn't, I didn't feel like I needed that. I'm a simple guy, a simple trust, and it's not that complicated. Uh, but a few nights after we came back from the yearly meeting, I was walking our dog around the parking lot at night, and, and it was like, kind of like with worship. God just kind of opened up something that hadn't been there before, and in my own way, I just let it rip. And it didn't fix anything. It was just like a deeper level of connection between my heart and God's. And in our troubles, the Bible says, cry out, and he'll meet you there. It's okay to let God know how much it hurts. It's okay to let God know how, know how much you're afraid. It's okay to let God know how much you don't understand. It's okay, God, to let, to let God know how empty you feel. He already knows all those things. But when you let him know it, there's a deeper kind of connection than ever before. Another kind of trouble that James talks about is a kind of sickness. And he says, if you're troubled, pray. If you're happy, sing songs of praise. If any of you among you are sick, then you reach out on your own to the elders of the church, and they will come and pray over you. And there is help in our sicknesses. Psalm 107, verses 19 through 21 say these words, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. And there's that word cried again. Passionate communication with God. Can we just ask ourselves this morning, when was the last time we had passionate communication with God? I hope that you know that in your life. On some level, we're all going to be different, but God's, God's working on me. He's getting me there. Got a long way to go. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word, and he healed them. He rescued them from the grave. That sounds like a last-minute rescue, if I've ever heard one. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Remember, the first Sunday night service in our first church in Marion, Ohio. Annie was this quiet lady who was mostly blind. And I had never um, met someone like her in my whole life. She was warm and kind, and even though she couldn't see me, she always had a way of looking right into my eyes. It's kind of scary, actually, because I know she couldn't see me, but yet she saw into my soul like few people I've ever met. That Sunday night, she stood up in the middle of the service and said, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I just found out that I have cancer, and I don't know, I don't know any more than that. And we, uh, the pulpit there was like this with shelves inside of it, and so we had oil and lots of other things in there, and, and the elders went back to her and prayed over her. Um, just like the Bible says, if any one of you is sick, call the elders and, and pray, and you will be healed. Next Sunday morning, we couldn't even barely get started, and she's like, I went to the doctor, and guess what? It's gone. And we were there for four and a half years, and it never came back. Now, if you study the way that the early church lived out this verse, it's really intriguing to us because sometimes we wait until we've, you know, we've, we've got all the answers from the doctor. You know, we kind of have all the things in line that we think are going to happen, and, and then we pray. And the way this passage works is, is, in essence, when you come and you anointed somebody with oil, the assumption was they were already on the road to recovery. 
You didn't go to them in hopes that they would be healed. You went with them only with the oil in a sense to anoint them for, for new life. Anoint them for the next step because God has already done something. It was almost like baptism, if you believe in that, after salvation. The, the act came first of God and then the outward sign came after. And when the, when the elders came, they came expecting that God has already answered the prayer. This is just a recognition that God is in charge. That's the way the early church lived out that passage. I think that's really good for us to ponder that, you know, we, we kind of think of God coming on the scene after the fact, and, and they see God as have already come on the scene before the fact. To work in that person's heart and work in that person's life, it, it, it's counterintuitive to the way we think about prayer and faith in God. It's kind of like the centurion who said, no, no, no. You, you can heal them without even coming. And Jesus marveled at that kind of faith, how rare it was. There's help in our sicknesses. And there's help also in our sinfulness. <clears throat> we like to pray to see God get through our trouble. We like to sing praises if that's what it is. And, and we want to be healed of our physical maladies. All of us do. But when it comes to the sin of our heart, this is where we tune out the pastor. This is where we think about what we're going to have for lunch. This is where we disconnect from the Bible and from God because he goes to a place that we really don't want anyone to go to. And he says, if you confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, remember what I said when I started. This is the community. All these things are happening in the context of you and me together. And James says, if you will go to someone and confess your sins and be prayed over, God will heal you. Obviously, we have to use wisdom in the context that we do this, but when was the last time you had someone come up to you and say, pastor or friend, I've got some sin I need to confess? <laughs> When was the last time you had somebody in the church come up to you and say, I need you to pray over me because there are some things going on that, that God knows needs to stop? Last time I checked, the Bible says Jesus is the only perfect person. So this verse really does apply to everyone in this room. Can we all say amen? It applies to every one of us. And this morning, any of us could stand up here or find a group of elders, or, or a couple people that we trust. And I'm not saying take your dirty laundry every Sunday and bring it in front of everyone. Please be wise in this. But find mature believers. If there's something going on, and don't fight that battle. We've talked about that before. We are not built to be islands. We're built to be a family. And if there's something going on down inside that you're battling and you're struggling, James says, real church... Real family, real community doesn't just fight this in the closet alone. We come out into the light and we bring people around us and we gather together and, and we admit what everyone knows about us, that we're weak, that we're imperfect, that we have struggles, and that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's like it's a big secret. 
We don't want anyone to know that we have dirty laundry. We don't want anyone to know that we have this inner struggle. We don't want anyone to know that we're not a perfect Christian. None of us are, none of us ever will be. That's why we need each other. And as we open ourselves up to the heart of God, as we open ourselves up to the move of the Holy Spirit, as we celebrate the resurrection together, as we open up our heart to this idea of being passionate with God and crying out to Him, as we open up our heart to this idea of being willing to, to break down the wall of our own pride, because it's really what it's, it's, it's just simple. That's all it is. Can I tell you a secret? There's people in this church that know you aren't perfect. My prayer is that they don't share that news with anyone because that's what's called gossip. But it's no secret. The pastor's not perfect. The worship leader doesn't like football. We know he's not perfect. But it's like... It's like the first time that I saw a police officer in the church. I wasn't ready for him. And it was dark, it was night, and, and I, you know, I'd been told that they were in there. And I came around the corner and he was there and it was like, <laughs> it was It scared me, it wasn't funny, okay? It scared me. <laughs> I'm good with them now, we're all cool. But it's like we do that with this stuff we have. We recoil, we revolt. It scares us to think that someone else might know what's going on inside. And can I tell you, it's a lonely place to have no one on your side. The authentic church that began it all, the believers found a, a group of people that they trusted with some tough things. And do you know what James said happened when they did that? They were healed were healed. So maybe the one of the things that's holding you back is it's just it's your it's your burden alone. And God wants to give you freedom. I'm going to read from the book of Psalms again. This is David after finally confessing. He had finally found that one that he could open his heart to and this is what he wrote it. It's one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, Psalm 32. Happy is the man whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Not covered up, but covered by God. Happy is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my body wasted away, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. He was miserable. For day and night he was under conviction. Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But finally I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said to myself, I will confess my transgressions to God. And God forgave the guilt of my sin. And I read Psalm 32 again this morning, and I was like, you know what? I think all the other praise songs in the Psalms started after that one. <laughs> because here was a man who had a heavy burden, and he was all alone. And finally he came out and realized that there were people around him who cared about him. He was reminded that God loved him, and he was never the same after that moment. And the authentic church, friends, is, is, I think in its experience, very different than what traditional American Christianity is all about. I really do. 
I think that we come and like that verse in Isaiah chapter 29, we just, we just kind of sing the songs because that's what we've always done. It's kind of what we were taught to do in Sunday school. It was taught by the people around us. And, and so we just, we just sing. And I think there's a deeper level to our Christianity when, when God starts to do something inside and we just can't keep it in any longer. And we can express it in a lot of different ways. It might just be that for the first time in 20 years, you smiled as you sang. It might be for the first time you closed your eyes while you sang. It might be that you I don't know what it is, but we open our heart up to the Holy Spirit. Open up our spirit to Him, and He does new things in us. It might just be that we learn to cry out to God in a way we never have before. Just the way we express our life to God. There's a new level of intimacy and connection than ever before. Or it might just be that we open up that chamber of our heart that we try so desperately for no one to know about. And in wisdom and with tact, find those who would pray for our healing, who would stick with us no matter what we tell them no matter how long it takes, for the Holy Spirit to do something in us that only he can do. And friends, James is just down to earth by the basic stuff. This isn't rocket science, but it's tough. It's tough to come to worship and not worry about what other people are thinking about you as you're singing. It's tough to not come to church and not go to God and think that you have to be stronger than, than you think he needs you to be. It's tough to admit to God that you're weak. It's really tough to go to someone who you think looks up to you even and say, hey, this is going on. I need help. I need prayer. Will you pray over me? Then I might just be the greatest thing you need in your life right now is to have a friend who cooks who sticks closer than a brother, to have a Savior who begins to move upon your heart and your life in a way that you've never experienced before. And I have, I have, I'm grateful to God for the book of James because it shows us his heart for us. This is God's plan for the church. It's not his wish. It's not his dream. It's the way he created it to be. And if we want revival, we want to see a move of the Holy Spirit, then I think a lot of that is moving back to the heart of God in the way we live before him in community together. All right, the message is over. We can go to the next slide, I think. Um, at least get off of that.